AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So John, I hear you have uh, some more information about ZTE routers. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, not so much the vulnerability in the ZTE, ZTE router that's interesting as kind of the little extra bit of code that was inserted here. So um, this is a story uh, that was covered last week. Some, some of the media um, had reported on it. And in the underground, you know, there's a lot of these uh, underground actors who will release uh, source code snippets of, or exploits to exploit certain types of things. And there's a kind of older vulnerability in ZTE routers that's from like the 2013 timeframe um, that's been around and kind of been floating around. But there was this one guy, uh, Scarface uh, is his alias. Um, he actually kind of re-released this, repackaged it, re-released it as a Python script. Um, but the interesting thing is, is when you, let's say you're a script kitty and you got this from him or um, you got this script from him and you decided to use it to exploit some ZTE routers, um, he's inserted a backdoor implant in there. And the thing that's really interesting is it's not really piggybacking to exploit the router that's he's, he's letting you, which is what the exploit does. He's exploiting the exploiter. Essentially what happens is you run the script and, and embedded in the script is a little base 64 encoded payload that actually runs on your machine and uh, it lets the uh, it lets the author of the malware get onto your machine. So I thought that was interesting. This is not like the first time we've ever seen this, um, but it's one of those buyer beware type scenarios. Not that, first of all, you shouldn't be going out in the underground well. acquiring exploits <laughs> from people. But if you did, um, this is one of those cases. I know a lot of times we'll evaluate uh, or we'll get exploits and try to figure out you know, how they work and whatnot. Uh, so this is a good case of make sure you read the source code because you may not know that it's doing a little bit of extra something uh, unexpected. So uh, just a kind of interesting story. There's really not much more to it than that. Uh, I don't even know how many of these ZTE routers are out there vulnerable, um, but that's not really, to me, the interesting part of the story. The interesting part is that someone inserted his own backdoor in uh, to get the bad guys who are trying to use his script uh, yeah, leveraged. It's pretty sly of him. <laughs> right. I'm curious. I, I'm wondering. It, it's tough because you can't really know like, how many people have have purchased this bit of code from him, right? Or how many people are actually running it. But I'm curious. The whole idea as a script kitty is that you, you get like a module, so to speak, and you just you plug it in and you run with it. And you often don't step through and, and look for things that I don't know could maybe affect your system. Right. So I'm curious, like, what's the uh, what's the success rate on this thing? I would imagine it's pretty high. Uh, I I I don't have any statistics right. on it, but I would assume that most people probably don't, you know, walk through every line of the code to see what is this doing. Exactly. Well, that's um, a problem everywhere, even in no thieving industries, right? Right. Right. <laughs> so like. You definitely don't have these people that pay. They're paying because they don't want to deal with the. Exactly. What, <laughs> yeah. They don't want to deal with going through and going line by line, and oh, maybe this does this. It just does the thing you want, and right. that's it. <laughs> and you're getting something from somebody who's already kind of established them as I'm a bad actor, right. in, you know, in the underground. So should you really trust? It's not like you're getting commercial software right. from a reputable company that you yeah. can kind of assume. Okay, I'm not going to go walk through all their code. But, uh, and this is pretty small. It's not a very long script. It's maybe 100 lines of code or something. Um, 
and it's all readable Python, but you just have, I know in a lot of cases when, we, when a new exploit comes out, somebody has proof of concept code, I'll look at it and I'll test it on one of our test systems. So it's interesting, I wonder how many good guys got caught up in it right. because mm -hmm. you're testing to see how does this work, what's it gonna look like on the network, so maybe I can write a, a snort signature or something for it uh, to capture that uh, type of activity um, if it happens. A researcher opening the code and maybe trying to test it locally might run into this, right? So to the good guys, you know, while you're testing, see if this backdoor gets open to the bad guys, well, you know, you get what you paid for, I guess. <laughs> hey, Jonathan, so I understand you're looking at a story about another database that was exposed on the internet? Yeah, this one was actually interesting because well, this company, VoxOx, VoxOx, I apologize if that's not how you say it, but that's how I heard it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, what they do mainly is that uh, they process VoIP and SMS data for other companies. Okay. Uh, so they had this database that was almost real-time processing all the requests for forwarding um, SMS to the cell phone company. So, like, let's say you're, I don't know, company X, and I need to send you a tax. Well, I don't have the capability of that. So I hired this company. Right, so they're like to, a third party yeah. as an SMS gateway. Correct. To send to right, right, okay. So, uh, and actually from this, I, I didn't realize there were multiple layers. So I could be a company X paying company Y, which then Uses pays them this company Z. as a gateway. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, I read so, that too. So in this case, uh, they had an Elasticsearch database that was processing all this almost near real time but their Kibana front end was open. No passwords, no anything. <laughs> completely so, to the internet. Completely so all you had to, to do was internet. find it, and then you could start rummaging through it. And it was actually, the researcher found it in Shodan. Okay. So it was already processed by Shodan, Shodan and so who knows who else had access to it? Right. It's unclear as to who else had had reached this uh, database. It's unclear if anybody had downloaded it. It's unclear if the information uh, on that website was used in any nefarious activities. TechCrunch saw that there were about 20 million plus messages processed this year alone. Jeez. <laughs> and uh, the company, I think, has been around for a few years. So we, we don't know right how, ma how many people had access to it, for how long. And uh, one of the interesting things was that while Tech, TechCrunch was doing the research, they realized, wait, some of these are actually two-factor authentication codes. Right, right? And like, so I'm just kind of scrolling yeah. to this picture here. <laughs> uh, so it's got a one-time pin right. of 6791373 to reset some Microsoft account. And some of that, well, for the most part, they usually expire, but they don't ex they expire for maybe five, 10 minutes, right? It's not something quick. Right. So if you're looking at a real-time database of this data, that you have a window where you could have, you know, gotten someone's one-time authentication code. Right. And I think that that's probably the biggest piece of the story here, right? Like a big, big secure vulnerability because banks use, you know, I don't know if banks use this service, but right. banks use. But that's a very typical type you know, of, yeah, yeah, yeah Here's the code, log into your account. Yeah. So if you're trying to target someone and you know it goes through here, I mean, there's, there's all this, all amounts of possibilities. So anybody potentially using two-factor authentication to log in now has their 
temporary code uh, in this database that is almost real time, so an, an attacker could potentially see where their code is. While they think they're protected, they're no longer protected. Like you okay. said, especially if it's like a banking scenario or something, a lot of us, you know, we always talked about SMS is not right. necessarily the most secure yeah. out of band type of authentication. Right. Because, you know, it can be passively intercepted in a lot of ways, depending right. along the way. And this is one way right here in that it's mishandled uh, when, it, when, yeah. it's, uh, when it's put in here. So, you know, I know at my bank, I have to log in with a password, yep. then it wants to send me a one-time pin code. Correct. And so if I'm a bad guy and I get the, the login ID and password and I need that one-time pin code, but I know if I just go here right. and just keep refreshing, looking for where phone number <laughs> equals yep. right. you know, John's phone number, boom, I can get into his bank account and start transferring money out. Yeah. That's, right. that's pretty unnerving. <laughs> um, Correct. Yeah, that's very unnerving. Um, <laughs> in addition to that, though, there's also in the articles stated that um, passwords were actually in plain text there, oh, and uh, right. temporary account passwords. Like if you know if you've got a, if you hit a reset password link, you know some companies, some websites right. will tell you, well here's a temporary one to your your yeah. phone number or email address. It was just sitting there, right. plain text for all. And some will send a link that. As long as you click the link, it just resets the password. It assumes that you're that person. Mm -hmm. It's like this That's big right. long crypto link in yeah, there. Yeah. I don't know if they do that in SMS, but I've seen that, and that always worries me too. Because if that gets intercepted, right. you could well, um, you could take over somebody's account that way too. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a good story. Uh, I appreciate you bringing it. It's very interesting. Um, I didn't know that this is how a lot of these companies do their SMS. Yeah, I learned, I learned a lot from that too. Yeah. So the important takeaway from this is if you are a firm whose business model it is to control that information and, and transmit it, uh, it'd be a good idea to make sure that information isn't uh, openly available on the internet as this case uh, shows that it was. So Andy, you bring us a story about a good service that is being used for bad purposes, right? Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Uh, this one's a little bit weird. Uh, it has to do with the uh, Googlebot service. Right. Googlebot is a, a web crawler uh, that Google uses to index different websites so that they can show up on Google searches. A researching team from F5 actually observed some, some funny malicious uh, requests over the wire uh, that, they were, that were coming from Googlebot. Right. And it brought to mind some immediate questions. The first one is, is Googlebot hijacked? What's going on here? Right. right? So they were actually able to tell based off of the source IP, which was allocated as a Googlebot. IP address space, that it's, it's coming from the legitimate uh, Googlebot IP, right? So that ruled that out. So then the next sort of conclusion they came to was that it's a, it's a service that's being abused, which is pretty interesting. So what they were seeing were, were requests to normal domains with malicious payloads in the path that were coming from Googlebot, right? So when they actually looked into this, and what they found was uh, that this is something that happens, which is kind of weird. So essentially, if, uh, if an attacker finds a website that is vulnerable to, say, command injection, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what they can do is they can craft uh, a malicious link to a normal domain, a vulnerable domain, and then set up a website and embed that link within their page. And then wait for Googlebot, Googlebot to index it and uh, Googlebot's gonna do what it's supposed to do, and that is index that particular link. All right, so it'll fetch that it's URL. It'll go fetch that URL, right. and in doing so, it's actually delivering that payload, 
which is pretty interesting. Right. Yeah. So an interesting technique of kind of like farming out your exploitation to a legitimate service like Google, but you know they're doing it in a way, it's not Google's fault, it's just that they're kind of leveraging a weird side effect behavior that um, you know, most people don't think about. And an example of how it was being used is actually to uh, exploit an Apache stress vulnerability. Right. Um, the recent one from this year. Right, the recent one. Um, it's probably was, like within five, past five months or something, right? Right, can't right. Remember. It was very, very recent. Um, it was the, the OGNL uh, right. vulnerability where you can, you can craft an OGNL uh, string, essentially, put that as the path, and there you go. And so that was, uh, it's been observed uh, in the wild already. So this, this is just a little, a little twist on that in that it's coming from a legitimate Google bot as opposed from a normal attacker. Right. Yeah. yeah, that puts it puts I guess the people that are trying to protect websites in a weird place because now you can't filter it. Like the blacklisting of an IP becomes can't do that. Pointless at that point. Right. Right. They're all legit. Right. <laughs> right. right. And, then and you you're probably going to not want to blacklist the Google yeah, service, right? Most people aren't going to do that. It hurts you, right? It right. might throw you down the right. search ranking because they're, you're not letting them search your page. Right. Right. <laughs> So uh, it sounded like there is a particular attacker that this is being leveraged in the wild, mostly for delivery of a cryptocurrency miner of some sort, I think it was. I don't remember which one. Yeah. Uh, um, Chronix. Chronix. I think is what okay. it is, or Chronix. I don't know, however you pronounce it. But that's, it's been observed to, uh, to push that malware onto, onto different sites. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, I guess the thing that comes to my mind is why bother? Right. Right. <laughs> we had some questions as to why an attacker would even do that. It seems like it'd be more effective to proxy your own malicious traffic rather than let Googlebot uh, pick it up at some undetermined point in time. I guess maybe there might be people out there who um, block a lot more, right. but you know, particularly if traffic's coming from bad areas, and maybe that's the only place that you could really launch your exploit from, but. I don't know. I find be, that suspect. It could yeah. be to bypass like geolocation filters because I know yeah, some people block whole countries, right? Like, so. right. <laughs> True. So uh, there could be that. I mean, I, it, I, I was interested to see if they if they had any way to figure out like who benefits after, right? Like, I guess there's no way to know really. But yeah. like, what what? How does the attack? I guess because they're crypto mining, can you like kind of follow? maybe where the money is, right? <laughs> to see if there's other, you know, if that's being used somewhere else, maybe? Right, <laughs> potentially. I don't know enough about this right. cryptocurrency. Yeah, you know, sure. with Bitcoin and some of these other ones, you can look at the ledger and maybe there's a similar thing. Right. Um, but uh, uh, it's interesting. I just, I just yeah. don't understand why I wouldn't just do it myself as opposed to farming the malicious links out to Googlebot to do it for me. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is interesting that you're able to kind of, you know, as a bad actor, leverage somebody else right. to do the exploitation for you because, you know, it's just, that's what it's designed to do. It's not necessarily something that is wrong with the service because it is the service is doing exactly what it was intended to do. But this sort of behavior has actually been observed since 2001. So it's been known for a while. I think the reason why we don't see it all that often uh, in the wild is because of the, uh, the limitations placed on that particular type of request. All right, guys, I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week. Um, 
nothing overly surprising, nothing new that we haven't seen before. Um, but this one is the most pro ports. So this is where we have the most scanning just by sheer volume, not necessarily how many scan sources are involved, but just sheer raw scan probe activity. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, Telnet, uh, SSH up at the top, which we've seen for a long time now. A lot of the IoT devices with default passwords, you see a lot of scanning on those ports with brute force password guessing, trying to get into them and stuff like that. Um, 445 TCP, we actually will take a closer look at that one uh, in a minute. Uh, Microsoft SQL Server, 1433. 81 TCP is probably the go-ahead web server. Uh, 3389 TCP is remote desktop protocol. We talk about that a lot also. Uh, HTTPS and web. They always kind of show up on the list because there's things scanning for that along the way. And then at the bottom of the pile here is the 5555 TCP, which has been known as part of the Android debugger, people leaving that open. But there's a little twist that I kind of discovered this week. So we'll take a closer look at that one as well. Um, this is the most sources probing. This is typically where we see most of the botnet related stuff because you get a whole bunch of sources simultaneously scanning for a particular port and that usually indicates some kind of malware directing them to do so. Um, so we already talked about the 445 TCP. We're gonna take a closer look at that. I'm gonna skip Telnet this week. Um, there's not any real big change here. Uh, 8080 TCP we'll take a closer look at as well. Uh, and we'll take a look at the 5555 TCP. Go ahead web servers down here as well. And there's a bunch of other noise ones, like all these ICMP ones are usually backscatter or other noise related to scanning activities. So uh, probably not really super relevant to the discussion. So let's take a quick look at 445 TCP. This is a uh, two-year uh, shot look at it. And you'll notice that things were pretty level for a while here uh, through late 2016 into early 2017. And in May of 2017, that's when WannaCry came out, which was a pretty famous ransomware that we all heard about. So it's a little about a year and a half ago now. And um, you can see there's a big spike, and then it like just started to really climb here. <laughs> this is this dip here really wasn't here. If I remember right, we actually had a kind of weird data issue in our data collection that accounts for this. So ignore that. But I wanted to point it out so people don't think that there was actually some something happened to diminish the botnet. It actually was on our side. We had a little collection issue. Yeah, like it was steadily going up the whole. Yeah, time. Uh, and it, and it did actually continue yeah. to, to climb up. But since this point, it's kind of leveled off for the most part. I would say for most of 2018, it's a pretty relatively straightish line. Um, no big swings up or down for the most part. And uh, this activity continues. Most of it is, you know, either latent WannaCry infections that are still out there, just people haven't taken care of them, right. or um, other uh, families of malware that also exploit that MS17010 vulnerability, which is in the SMB protocol. Uh, this is a Microsoft uh, directory service, which is for file sharing. Uh, that's what that port is. Uh, so this is port 8080 TCP, and um, this one's related to that GPON router vulnerability. So that's another type of router um, that's out there. And uh, we had some types of scanning back here, but they're very sporadic. And then you can see there's a really sharp change in the scanning uh, pattern uh, somewhere around, it was early May or something like that, it looks like. Uh, and that's, that's when the GPON router remote code execution vulnerability came out. So a lot like some of the stories we were talking about with uh, struts and some of these other things, um, these devices, you can send a post request to them 
with some parameters in there that tell it to go execute something. So it's got like a little exploit and it's very shell shocky if anybody remembers shell shock, right. the shell shock vulnerability. Um, I wasn't able to grab an example of this, but I'll show you another one in the next one uh, that we grabbed in our honeypot um, that's very similar as well. So port 5555 TCP, which is the Android debug bridge, um, there was a vulnerability that came out back here, uh, like June, uh, I'm sorry, the January, February timeframe, and it kind of stayed very level. And then a bunch of other actors, uh, like Satori, the Satori malware family, they got involved and said, I want to scan for this too <laughs> and recruit some devices in. But when I've been looking at what's actually coming into our honeypots lately, is um, it is not the Android exploit that I'm seeing. Um, it's actually a TR69 exploit. Hmm. And TR69 is, it's a management protocol for like routers and stuff that an ISP might use. So like your internet service provider would use TR69 to uh, administer or configure the router right. uh, if it's like some um, uh, uh, CPE type equipment, you know what I mean, customer fried. This is remote, like from their office to the consumer at home, you mean? Right, Oh. Okay. right. So like, you know, some, some providers, you know, some internet service providers for home, they'll usually provide you with a piece of hardware. So right. that might be a DSL modem or a cable modem right. or something like that. And a lot of those have TR69 enabled and then the, um, the ISP has means to go manage that device right. using that protocol. Most of them listen on port 7547, but there is one, uh, there are some devices that instead of listening on 7547, they listen on 5555. Huh. So there's some overlap there. Oh, I see. So the Android is using that for their debug port, but there's some, uh, some devices that use that for their TR69 port. So, um, and that's exactly what we're seeing. Uh, so here's an example. It's a little hard to read, but this is the request that comes in to our honeypot and um, I obfuscated the host here, but it is on port 5555, which I highlighted in yellow. And you'll see they're passing in a SOAP request here. Uh, and in this SOAP request, they're trying to set the NTP servers on the device, which is a typical kind of thing that you would do with TR69. Mm -hmm. You might set like the NTP servers or DNS servers or things like that uh, to whatever your ISP has available to their your customers. And uh, in here, what they're passing is for the NTP server one field, they're putting a back tick and then some instructions that say CD to slash temp, you know, run wget, fetch this file from this IP address and then run this file with a back tick. And if you're familiar with Linux, a back tick means execute this. Right. So um, there's a bug in whatever device this is they're targeting, which I'm not sure which one it is, that I guess when it processes this field, it will actually execute it when it really shouldn't. You know, <laughs> they're not doing good input sanitization yeah. is, basic, yeah. is the basic gist. Um, so I took a look at this, I grabbed it to see what it is, and it actually came back, only three vendors, AV vendors, very new, fresh malware, mm. um, only three AV vendors uh, recognized it, and uh, they all recognized it as Mirai. Mm. I'm gonna guess it's probably Hajime, uh, just because I know that there's some Hajime overlap with Mirai, and I feel like it might be that. Uh, okay. Either way, they're all kind of like very closely knit families anyway, because they're just kind of variants of each other. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, anyway, I just kind of, I thought it'd be interesting to show 
uh, an actual example of like this scanning activity that we're showing right. in these charts yeah. in our honeypots. We're seeing this is what they're trying to actually yeah. do and what delivered to the victim machines. Because this seems more likely than someone leaving their Android debugging device open on the internet. Like this actually is out in the internet. <laughs> right. There's not that many, I don't think, from okay. from like when you look at Shodan, yeah. it does not look like there's a lot of Android right. debugger services listening on port five 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 TCP uh, worldwide on the internet. Right. It seems like it's very low. Yeah. Well, you'd percentage. have to you'd have to enable it. Right. Or right. It, the manufacturer would have to mistakenly have it enabled. Right. On Left ship, it open for some is, reason, which would be happened, but it's rare. Right, I think that would be rare. Yeah. Um, this is, this is probably more likely that yeah. there's some device out there, I'm not sure which one, that has this vulnerability, yeah. right. and they're seeing if they could find any of them. Um, which is, you know, we know that there are at least a handful of devices out there that have very similar uh, vulnerabilities like this. And that's all I really had for this week on the internet weather. Oh, very interesting, thank you. Yeah. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.